calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is of gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello and welcome to this episode of CFA Institute's Take 15. I'm Steve Horn in Seattle, here with Scott Welch, the moderator for our Asset Allocation for Private Clients conference. Scott is Senior Managing Director of Fortigent, a wealth management platform for advisors serving high net worth clients. Scott, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. You've, um, you've done some thinking recently, and I say recently, but it's actually evolved over a number of years, motivated largely by the financial crisis and the breakdown of our traditional models of diversification and portfolio management. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, what motivated your thinking around these issues? Well, I think uh, you know, when, the, when the meltdown happened in 08 and early 09, um, it called into question a lot of uh, widely accepted tenants that people had been using to build and manage portfolios for 20 to 30 years. Um, people sort of accepted on faith that modern portfolio theory wasn't really a theory, it was reality. Uh, and any sort of lapses between the, the assumptions built into the theory uh, and, and reality were just sort of ignored. Uh, and for 20, 25 years, that was just fine. We had a remarkable bull market. We had uh, low volatility. We had steadily rising asset prices, cheap credit. You know, you, you know the story. The events of 08 really caused a lot of people to question those underlying assumptions or at least go back and revisit them and, and ask the question of, A, were they still valid? Were they assumptions that could still be counted on? Uh, B, was there a different or better way of thinking about portfolio construction, portfolio management, risk management? Uh, and it's been really interesting to sort of follow the, the, academia, the academics and the practitioners uh, on that topic. Um, I think uh, someone, a friend of mine described it as it's not that MTF, MPT failed, it's that people were applying it in a very sloppy manner, uh, and they were, they were in fact ignoring the known fallacies and, and known uh, assumptions, simplifying assumptions. Uh, but when you look at the responses to, uh, to the events of 08 and 09, I, I sort of categorized it somewhat arbitrarily into three broad categories. You had the group of people who uh, tried to respond to the, those events in what I'll call a behavioral way. So they sort of brought forward this notion of the behavior, of behavioral finance and, and thinking about building portfolios the way people actually think about their money. And what you saw in sort of the two main areas that I, that I noticed there was the, the idea of postmodern portfolio theory where you're optimizing on a downside risk measurement as opposed to uh, a sharp ratio. Uh, and also building uh, very customized portfolios that had minimally acceptable returns uh, as opposed to some market expected return. Uh, of course, that creates kind of a, a somewhat heretical uh, to MPT fans because it means that there is no efficient frontier. It means that each individual investor has his or her own efficient frontier. But uh, that's probably more realistic in terms of how people think about their own money. Uh, the other response was, and I think this one has has a lot of merit to it is uh, the notion of, of building more objectives-based portfolios rather than thinking about the portfolio as some sort of uh, amorphous uh, thing that was on its own 
is uh, actually targeting different parts of the portfolio to meet specific investor objectives. Is this a variation of asset liability management? I think that's a component of it, uh, right? I think I think uh, the, the idea of uh, liability-driven investing or, or asset liability management um, fits very nicely with this notion of objectives-based. Uh, and the idea, again, from a behavioral perspective is that people think of their money as being designed to do certain things for them, be it retire at a certain age or make sure their kids go to a certain school or whatever it may be. Um, and so why not create portfolios that, that, that's, that strive to, to fulfill those objectives? Uh, it's the way people think about their money. Uh, the, I believe it will help them be a little more disciplined when things go wrong. They sort of understand why the portfolio is being built the way it is to meet those objectives. And I think both of those, both of those ideas uh, have merit. Uh, they're still somewhat in their infancy, but you're beginning to see a lot more firms either apply more research to it or actually begin to build and manage portfolios that way. So have you abandoned the concept of diversification in your practice? No, not at all. And in fact, one of the, one of the points I would make is that neither one of those ideas um, disavows MPT, uh, or the, the notion of, of uh, diversification or the, the management of risk and return. Uh, it's just a different way of thinking about it in terms of how you present it and, and manage it with your clients as opposed to any sort of radical change in the math, if you will. So what do you do differently? Uh, for me, uh, the different people will have a different response to that question. For me, it's it's largely optics. It's how do you present the portfolio recommendations? How do you how do you have the dialogue with your client about what it's for? How do you report on the performance of that portfolio? Um, you sort of thinking of those those issues in terms that are that that a, a lay investor can relate to more easily than standard deviation and volatility and correlation coefficients and things like that. Uh, that may be still in the background. In fact, it is still in the background. Um, but it's not. It's not. You know. You don't make the assumption that your client always understands that and and follows it the same way that you do. So we've become very focused and aware of tail risk, particularly yeah. negative tail risk. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly a part of our uh, vernacular in the profession, which I think is a healthy thing. Um, how is that? Um, actually reflected in our portfolio management decisions. Well, I think I think that sort of brings us to the the second big way things that people are trying to address this, this question. In that, uh, so if you have the behavioral folks who are trying to to build and manage portfolios more closely aligned with how people think about their money, you have a, what I call the quantitative response, which is people feeling that the real problem is just we haven't applied the appropriate math yet, right? And if we could just come up with better models, either for measuring the risk or for modeling actual market behavior, we could do a better job of, of building and managing portfolios. And that's where tail risk comes in. Tail risk, of course, is, is simply the, the reality that uh, outlier events happen much more frequently than, than the traditional MPT theory and normal distribution assumption would predict or allow for. Um, and there's lots of different ways to think about that. You have uh, some firms that are trying to apply conditional value at risk. They're, they're using uh, Laplacian distribution curves as opposed to normal distribution curves, so you have a higher expected mean but fatter tails. Uh, you've got uh, a little bit further out on the fringe, but I think very interestingly, you've got folks thinking about extreme value theory, uh, fractal analysis, chaos theory. and what they all have in common, uh, you have Mark Kritzman and his turbulence index and this sort of idea that the markets go through quiescent and turbulent regimes and you, should, and you can manage your portfolio accordingly. What they all have in common is, uh, again, they're not throwing out the underlying assumptions of MPT per se, but what they're acknowledging is, is that they're really simplistic and they don't accurately capture what actually happens in the market. And so what, they're, what all of them are trying to do uh, across the broad sense is, is build a better model. 
Um, and I think, uh, I think all those ideas have merit. I think the challenge for many people is the, the complexity of the math. Uh, it, it took us 25 years to educate our clients on, on the relatively simple math of MPT. Um, and I, I wonder at the uh, investor acceptance or understanding or interest, frankly, uh, in, in some of these, some of these higher level, uh, what I'll call higher level math. One, one way to avoid that complexity in math is to maybe just simply buy portfolio insurance, whether it's out of the money puts, um, that you know has a certain price associated with it. Uh, but that aside, uh, what's sort of the practical, almost the practice management danger of implementing an insurance strategy? Well, like there's, that? there's sort of two very interesting uh, things that, have, that I've noticed, and again, it's just sort of anecdotal. I don't, I don't want to call it trend out of it, but uh, one is. Um, I, I know personally advisory firms that lost clients after the events of 08 and 09 because their portfolios had not delivered the kind of downside protection that that traditional diversification um, implied. Uh, and so they lost clients when the market went down, and then one, one of their responses was to implement portfolio insurance strategies within their, the exist, their remaining clients' portfolios. That has a known cost associated with it. Uh, and so, mar- and then they lost more clients the following year because their portfolios underperformed due to the, the additional cost of the portfolio, and the market didn't in fact have a disruptive event. It had a remarkable run. So it's it's a very it's a it's a hard thing to get right. It's a hard thing uh, to educate your clients about. Uh, and you know, no one buys ins- no one no one questions the notion of buying insurance on your house or on your car or on your life. But that doesn't mean you want to die, right? Or your house catch on fire. Uh, but the notion of paying for insurance on your portfolio and then not having it at, uh, exercised seems somehow to disconnect with people at, at, at the individual level. Yeah, people see it as a heads-I-win-tails-you-lose kind of a proposition for the person selling the insurance. So, you know, I, I, the way I think about it, though, and again, I, I try to be practical about it in, in terms of how I think about it and tr- help people build portfolios around it, is... Y- you can take all of the things that we've just discussed and, and sort of summarize it that the, the portfolio has more risk in it than uh, the traditional risk measurements have identified. So, you know, standard deviation is a, is a uh, necessary but insufficient measure of risk, of portfolio risk. And you have all sorts of other kinds of risks like liquidity risk and counterparty risk. And none of those are risks until they are. And, and, then, and then that you have things, bad things happen to good portfolios. And... So there's one, a very common sense way of approaching that is simply, and I don't mean to oversimplify, but take less known risk in your portfolio in recognition that you have not, you, you've incorrectly uh, you know, measured the risk that, that you know is there. Uh, and that's going to mean you know, higher allocation to less risky investments, uh, you know, more fixed income, uh, more, diver- you know, more diversification potential across the non-traditional asset classes, more attention paid to the liquidity of the portfolio. Uh, more transparency on the things that you actually own. Very common sense things that don't require a higher level of math or a higher level of complexity, uh, but that can add some real value to, to, your, to your ability to manage the risk in your portfolio. Great insights. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on uh, diversification. And thank you for joining us. To browse our catalog of other multimedia content, visit us on the web at cfawebcasts.org. Copyright 2010, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute.
This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.